I've made I've made some progress, and I feel like in the spots where I haven't made progress, I've definitely got put on the right track. Uh, it took a couple things. So last time uh, I was on on your podcast, I was uh, sitting in my puppy room uh, with my my pregnant female, an Aranye daughter that I had bought as an adult and bred, and she was huge. She had nine puppies. And she was, she's a pretty nice dog. I still have her. She's retired now, and she'll live her life here because of, of such a great temperament. And uh, and she's still a, a good guard dog, and I have all the chickens loose, and she's good with them. But uh, after I had that litter, I had people. This is the only time I did it. I invited people over to my house to look at the, my dogs and pick the dogs. And uh, I had some impressive dogs. Like, they were big and uh, big bully muscular dogs but people would come and it's not what they would look for you know like they were they would look at other things they would look at the flaws before the good stuff one person did and uh, they knew what they were looking at and they're like hey i need a dog for this we go hiking i have a lot of free time they're like i'm still young and retired so these next eight years like i want to be super active and they told me what they were looking for it sounded like they read the standard to me like it was it was good they're like i need a 24 inch dog that's muscular that can do this and that and movement and and i'm like oh wow well yeah i know this dog has weak pasterns but you know it's super wide big bully head it's it's a little high in the rear its angulation isn't too bad but it's high in the rear like yeah but he can't he probably can't do what i want him to do i'm like yeah look at the mom and look at the mom's like oh yeah the mom's good but i just he's like i can't take a chance at he turns out like the like the dad and i'm like okay well I, I understand and so they left and they drove all the way from washington i don't know what it was like nine hours like they live on some island where they took a ferry and i said hey you're going back up to washington we'll stop at this breeder's house they got puppies right now and it's a little closer and they did they actually bought a dog from that breeder i just sent them that way and uh i bred that dog one more time the big one that looked really good always got tons of attention when i had him in the truck or when i had him and a lot of attention i bred him one more time and i didn't get all the good stuff from him i didn't get big bully muscular dogs with huge heads all i got was the flaws Mm. and it was tough because i got the height but i didn't get the wideness and there was i scratched my head a little bit and uh I didn't really know, and uh, so I had that always in the back of my mind. <clears throat> and then on on Instagram, someone commented on one of my pictures. They're like, "Do you live on such and such road?" And I'm like, "Okay, wow, this guy just knows what road I live on. He must be local." Well, it was actually a neighbor of mine who used to breed Alapahas and American Bulldogs on the standard side, and. Uh, he was telling me about, uh, he lived a couple miles up the road before when he was raising dogs. And he told me about his setup. He had 17 litters in so many years and the type of dogs he would breed. And uh, he would do protection work and a bunch of stuff. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Come come over. And I invited him over. He lived just up the road, probably like three miles. And he came up and we had super short conversations. And... Uh, he told me just a few things that I remembered, a few lines he said, you know, he's told me, hey, you gotta, 
you got to know when to hold him and when to fold him. And he told me which dogs he liked and which dogs he didn't like. And uh, it was similar to what that customer, this guy knew exactly what he was looking for. And I mean, I had a lot of dogs at the time. I had nine dogs and he liked some of them and didn't like some of the other ones. So the ones he didn't like were the big muscular bully type. They did have some weak pasterns and they weren't like super correct. But my more athletic ones were all correct and they still had the bully type. And he's like, hey, these two dogs right here, these are your best dogs, you should breed them. And I'm like, I don't know, you know, they're they're half siblings. I, I, I gotta think about it. And uh, he left and uh, I started thinking about it. And uh, I went online more and looked at a bunch of dogs and I started getting more into wanting the clean, correct structure. Like I knew what structure was and I knew how things had to be in confirmation. And I said, you know, he's he's got this and he's got that and my other dog's got this. It's not the same flaws. I'll put them together and I'll select the best. Well, selecting at eight weeks, it doesn't really show you everything. You know, you got a, you got a good hunch of what you might get or what you might not. But unless you know those pedigrees and you've seen the litter mates of all the parents, it's not really going to tell you what what's in your genetic pool. And I did, and that's when I decided I'm cutting my yard in half. Mm-hmm. I cut my yard in half and I kept some of my better dogs and then I produced dogs out of them and uh, just kept doing, just went what the breeder who lived up the street told me he's like hey man keep up on the training with all your dogs make sure they're good dogs uh know the temperaments that way if you need a pet home because they don't turn out for breeding at least you can give them to somebody or sell them to somebody and it won't be difficult they won't have any behavior issues and uh just again what he told me know when to hold them and know when to fold them so i did that for a few years and uh, I've seen a lot of improvements in my yard. I I can't tolerate weak pasterns anymore. It's just a pet peeve. Uh, flaws that are that are multiple parts. For example, like a rear end with angulation. It's just a lot of issues. You have the angulation for the rear. It could be high rear, the hawks, everything. So when you have a bad rear there's just a lot of moving parts that make it more difficult for something to breed out. So I don't really like to keep or breed those dogs either. And uh, right now it's been a few generations since I started. And I I feel like I'm on the right track. I've kept stuff off of my own stock. Uh, Mostly I'm keeping females and breeding the outside males. But a lot of those outside males also have the same blood I have. Like, for example, I bought one female, but she was off of my brood, my brood bitch's uh, sister. And that dog up in Portland is an excellent producer. Everything she produces looks looks about the same. It's like you can you can tell. If somebody somebody messaged me and said, "Hey, I got this dog," I'm like, "Oh, I know where that dog comes from." Like, it's, it's half-sisters to my dog. I, I can tell just by looking at it. 
so that put me that put me on in a situation where I wanted better looking dogs with less flaws and what was next was obviously performance like I need some more athleticism that's one of the easiest ways like if your dog's pretty athletic not overdone not overdone bully you're gonna have an easier time picking and uh, I have a dog right now he's about 20 months old and his name is Peso he uh, is the son of Logic a dog that was in California now he's in Canada and uh, that dog turned out to be a big dog but in a different way he's like 24 24 inches tall like 114 maybe 115 pounds right now and i have him not too underweight but i don't want to i don't want him to be be fat right now so i can see i can see his waist but not really his ribs he's he's in a good shape right now and that boy's athletic like he'll I let him out of the 20 by 20 kennels in the morning and he'll run all the way around the property where I have mowed. The area where I have mowed is mostly where, where we hang out. Like the property goes on past where I mow, but that's, he'll just run all the way across that. It's like a whole acre and a half. And uh, he has some prey drive as far as flirt pull, rope swing, uh, tug of war, a game of tug is awesome. And, uh, but I have a bunch of loose chickens. I'm, we're also breeding chickens. That's a whole other thing I don't want to get into. But I got probably about 20 stags and pullets that just hang out in the yard in the morning and in the evening, just uh, looking for worms and bugs to eat. And the dogs will run probably 10 feet from the, from the young chickens, and they just stay there. They're, they're used to them. They don't run from them, and the dogs really don't bother them. So that dog is, is pretty nice. There's a few things I want to improve on him, but I learned a lot from just the genetic side of things. Like first I got into the color genetics. I do have some colored dogs. And learning about the color genetics is what is a dominant trait and what's a recessive trait. For example, Brindle is dominant and things like, uh, like dilutes and, uh, and like chocolate colors, those are recessive. And I learned them, and I, I learned to read the the genetic reports from like Embark so I could like predict what colors a litter would have. And I started thinking about temperament and uh, throwbacks and other things like that that were important that I'm like, hey, I wonder which of these temperaments is also recessive, which are dominant. And that took me to the Punnett Square and I'm um, just, you know, Punnett Square is a good way to, like, see and uh, predict, like, colors and predict other stuff. But there's a lot of stuff that, that you just can't predict. For example, temperaments like more outgoing dogs when they're puppies is, is important to know, is important to tell, tell your customers and everything when you sell them a pup. But... For me, to keep a dog is is difficult. When you keep a dog, when you buy a dog at eight weeks, you take all the info as far as the parents. It's the best thing is to just look at the whole litter. But for me these days, when I keep a dog, I like to keep two or three of them. 
two or three out of the litter just so just so I can pick and and really know because picking at eight weeks is tough but if you get like nine months to to keep them at your house or or better co-own them you can figure out which is going to be the best for your breeding program and uh that's just another thing I'm doing is I'm usually keeping one at my house and one with an uncle or one with a cousin and it's it's been working out especially with litters of like six or seven when you really can't decide and I do that and it sounds pretty obvious but it wasn't something I was doing before I was just looking at the pup and like oh this is this is the one it has to be the one you know and uh always always keeping up on training in case they're not the one I can I can pet home them. because throwbacks do happen you know you like I said you get you get dogs with that look like the dogs you have but they don't have all the good stuff and you get some of the flaws right yeah so just uh I'm I'm looking at pedigree especially when you when you bring in a dog from an outside uh kennel or some outside blood, which is something you have, you pretty much have to do, even if you know it. My my favorite thing to do, my rule of thumb is, it's pretty simple. Look at the dog in front of you. And you gotta like the dog. And then you look at the pedigree, and it has to look, and it has to match up. You don't want these flukes where the dog in front of you is just great, and the pedigree is kinda unknown, or iffy, the dogs in the pedigree, maybe the parents or the grandparents don't look like the dog in front of you. And I've done that, and I've done breedings where that has happened. And I've had an even split where two of the puppies looked like the dog in front of me, and two of the puppies looked like the pedigree. Now, I was able to keep the dogs I liked. I just got lucky, I believe. But uh, nothing, nothing more ever came out after that. You know, I, I never, I never bred those dogs. After I was just, uh, it was just too shaky. I told myself, you know, I have, I have these two other females I could breed. That is a little more sure. I'm not, I'm not gonna breed this one because of the pedigree. And the same with the other one I kept. It was, it was a male. I did breed that one, but I didn't keep anything off of that. And uh, especially when you when you get something that's inbred or line bred, those genes are much stronger. So if it's inbred in a way where you're not completely sure or it's not the direction you want to go, those genes are going to be stronger and they might dominate your genes, especially if yours aren't inbred or or the pedigree stacked in a way where the dogs are going to be a certain way as far as athleticism or or type. And uh, it, it makes it makes things tricky, and those were some of the things I ran across that made it difficult for me in the last ten years where where I've been breeding. And uh, I'm not gonna lie, before American Bulldogs, I had uh, I had some pit bulls, and I I bought those a couple years before I got the American Bulldogs. Before I found out it wasn't exactly for me, but I bought those and I looked at them as pups with the intention of breeding them. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I could tell you for sure, back then, I did not know what the word 
confirmation and mm-hmm. I didn't know about uh, inbreeding, line breeding, inbreeding depression. I didn't know about genetics or a lot of things. And I learned it just by being pretty much obsessed with dogs and learning about dogs, finding books, uh, videos on YouTube a little later, and talking to people. And I've just been learning mostly that way. Uh, talking to people has been one of the, the best ways. If you can get someone who knows a lot to talk to you. And uh, it's helped me go through some of the hurdles as, as a breeder because, you know, I'm I'm out here. I'm not near a big city. I'm like four hours from the international airport from Portland. And there's there's not really dog shows, much less people in, in my breed. There's there's a couple that that's how I got into the breed. Just ran into someone and I got some dogs from them, and I was pretty happy. And the dogs look great. But uh, things when you start out is as far as the environment and nutrition and and things like that. It it really makes a difference. Right now, I switched my dogs slowly to what I thought was a better food mm-hmm. and it worked for two of my females one female one male it did not work it had negative effects so now I um, I'm switching back back to the food I was at first and I've been almost two weeks back to the food I was at first and it's not it's not looking any better so it's it's little things like that that uh, I, you know, I'm still a little lost on that so far, but uh, I have a a big folder where I keep notes of stuff like this. Like at first it was like with breeding, like hey, I bred her on this day, she came to heat this day, and uh, she the pups were born this day, and then I keep deworming and shot records. That's how it started with my with my big folder and my notes. But it's going to every little detail to, you know, how pups, certain pups reacted when I introduced them to the big dogs, how pups reacted the first time I took them on walks, uh, how adults reacted the first time I tried to play a game of tug, which ones had uh, like the prey drive or ball drive and which ones are fine with chickens and which ones I kind of got to watch because I do have one dog where she knows she's not supposed to chase the chickens. But if I go inside the house and I'm in there for 20 minutes, I might come back to a dead chicken. And I kind of look at that as like, hey, I tell my dogs not to go in the, near the trash because there's some smelly trash that they're, they're kind of interested in. And I leave them alone. The trash can gets tipped over. And uh, that's just some of the things in my notes that I like. I, I, I keep track of to help because sometimes I do have to go back and reference. Um, if I ever get a dog that just has a temperament I don't like and the female has been, the mother has been bred before, or the father has been bred before, I can go back and see if they had thrown pups like that before. And it really helps. It keeps me organized. I go to the vet with a, with a litter of pups and I, I bring my notes with me and it just, I, you know, I'm talking to the vet and I write stuff down and it helps. I don't know, maybe it gives me, gets me a little respect from the vet because, you know, breeders, a lot of times they see 
they see good breeders, but they also see issues that happen from breeders. A lot of times those aren't brought in by the breeders, but they're brought in by other people. And uh, also talking about the vet, I'm, I'm X-raying the hips now because that's, that's important to me. I have most of my breeding dogs uh, hips X-rayed. The younger ones or the ones I've bred more recently. I do have one more dog who's not retired who hasn't had her hips X-rayed, but I, I might just do that. I'm not sure if I'm going to breed him, breed her anymore. But uh, I just, the reason I do x-rays and not like the pen hip or anything is because I'll, I'll do x-rays at a, maybe a year and a half old. And it's got to look really good. And if it doesn't look excellent or, you know, it looks iffy or, or I look at the vet and the vet doesn't really know what to say before he says, oh, yeah, they're fine. You know, then then we got to go and, and do some more stuff later on when they're about two years old. Sometimes my dogs do get bred right before two years two years old, especially especially the males. Uh, and uh, talking about hips and stuff like that, there there are some things. Uh, some vets won't say it. Some vets will say their studies, and some vets are like, "Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's that's a thing." After looking at everything is uh desexing neutering spaying dogs before they're they're mature um i've seen cases where a pup gets like neutered at like 12 16 weeks old and it shows like the growth plates don't close at a correct time and then you have uh stiff stifles in the back bad angulation from the way that the dogs grow and uh, they have a certain look to them. If you see it a few times, maybe on some Google images, uh, you're out in public and you look at a dog that you recognize the breed, breed type, and it looks a little off from from the way the legs look, maybe a little longer, less less bone density. Um, you can you can see they're a little taller, and a lot of times hips are bad and uh, knees get ripped from from just the angulation and the way they look and uh, that's something I'm putting in my contracts like dogs are, aren't to get uh, spayed or neutered until they're at least a year old or or all the, the health guarantee goes out the window because I usually keep one of those till two, two years old for the health guarantees and uh it's just something that's a shame. There's nothing I can prove, but there's uh, some studies done. There's also another study done that I find interesting that uh, dogs that uh, get antibiotics, especially heavy doses of antibiotics, before they're six months old also have, I can't remember exactly how it was quoted. Maybe it was elasticity issues with uh not joints, but tendons. With tendons, and those would tend to rip also. So there's stuff that's out there. It's, it's written, but it's not not super well-known or common. And that's stuff that can affect us all, you know, because, I mean, if dogs need antibiotics, they need antibiotics, especially if they're young. But it's also, also something to keep in mind. Um, 
and you know we don't we don't want to have those bad uh, bad experiences. I've had some experiences with puppies where where it makes you almost not want to breed anymore. It really puts you down. It and uh, it takes a little while to to kind of forget those bad experiences because you know I love these dogs and I want these dogs to do good. And yeah, maybe I might put out thirty or forty excellent good dogs, but that one dog, it's it's still an issue. It's still tough. It's still tough on people. So, just learning a little bit here and there about everything is really, I think, it has helped me stop some things and uh, prevent a lot of things that could go bad. But uh, the mostly thing I'm focusing on now is having bully dogs that can perform, that can breathe well. And one thing I've noticed is the biggest issue with American Bulldogs and their breathing is the roof of their mouth, their palates, is too big for the dog. And uh, I stay away from that the best I can. And uh, just keep good breathing dogs, medium-sized muzzles. I do keep a little, uh, two dogs that have shorter muzzles than that. And their breathing is pretty good, but you can tell the breathing isn't obstructed. Like, yeah, they breathe heavy when they play, but it's not like an obstructed breathing. Like, you can hear, you can hear the breaths coming in and out. It doesn't sound like something is opening and closing when they breathe. Mm-hmm. So that's that's important to me. Rears, rear angulation is important because it just looks funny when it doesn't. It, and you don't want your dog to get hurt. If they got bad angulation and they're athletic, you know, they can rip or tear something. And that's, that's not good either. And then the fronts, I like the really strong uh, pasterns with tight, straight feet. Um, I'm not sure if it's just a coincidence or or it's something I'm noticing. Females are, are more likely to have like the tighter, the tighter, cleaner feet than the males, but I I really haven't seen enough where I could see. Like even some of my females, like I, I rank them in order on their traits from like one to four. And uh, even the fourth one has like slightly better, better feet than like my first male. So I, I'm not sure, but it's still something I'm, I'm working on with my males. I don't keep a lot of males. I have one adult male, one young male, and then the restaurant cones. I mostly keep the females as a, as a breeding strategy because I can I can go to outside males if if I like the male and I trust the person and, and it meets all my other requirements. Uh, so that's that's what I'm trying to do. I like a little bit of a. I like a dog that can play tug or that has that uh, that drive to, for the flirt pole or my favorite is uh, is the spring pole. I just, I tie the swing from, from the tree and I let them out the cage and they, they go straight for the swing and they work themselves out. And when they're done, they're done and then they play a little bit and then I can do other things. I can... I can clean up their kennels while they exercise themselves pretty much. And it's super convenient. That uh, convenience is, is an important thing when you're trying to run a kennel because, you know, 
if I have to go and, and, and work them out, each single one, I work some of them out and other ones work themselves out. But if I have to work every single dog out for 30 minutes, it's, it starts to become hours. So that's, that's super good for the dog. It's convenient to me. And then uh, other things about temperament is there's, there's a drive to want to play on the swing and play tug, but there's also the prey drive. And I've, I've seen there's different levels of prey drives within my dogs. There's the prey drive where, where they want to, like the other, the female I mentioned, where she knows she's not supposed to go after the chickens or chase them, but she might if I step away. And then there's the ones that don't even care about the chickens. They'll let the chickens eat out of their food bowl while they're laying in the other, the other end of the, the kennel. And then there's just different, if you get them used to it, you can, you can get them to not just uh, want to chase cats. Dogs, they grow up in household with cats. Uh, they're, they're usually fine with it, 90%, 95%. You bring a puppy into household and there's a cat there, the dog won't care. Kind of just like the chickens. But uh, I have noticed also, like if you introduce a, a dog to a cat or some chickens in your yard for the first eight months everything is fine but if, if you you take away that the cat for eight months and then you bring it back you might have some issues and, and i only have the chickens in the yard for spring summer and part of fall and then when they become adults i i, I put them back in because they're going to start producing eggs and then the next season I get more. Well, there's been times where my went into heat and I, and I put her away so she's not loose all the time, gets bred, goes into a whelping, whelping area, comes back out, misses the season where there's chickens. And then by the next season when there's chickens, she it's almost like she forgot who they were mm-hmm. or what they were and what she's, how she's supposed to behave. So with temperament, there's a there's some things like that, different levels of prey drive, and then uh, how strong their nerves are. Uh, some of my dogs, you keep my dog, you get a dog for me, and you keep it at home. You live maybe at the edge of town or something, and then you put a leash on it for the first time, and, and you take it through downtown at a year old. You really have to be on edge. You have to make sure you're watching your dog to see what it does. You have you have to get it used to certain things. These dogs, you can't just uh, you can definitely not take them to a dog park for the first time in their lives. It, like you, it's not going to work. It's going to be pretty bad. Um, if you can do it and, and your dog behaves, maybe there's one or two other females and you keep them on a leash at the dog park. I'd say you got a really good temperament or maybe some same, same sex, same sex dogs. You keep them on a leash. The dog has a really good temperament, but uh, it's not something you want to expose to new things like right away without being prepared. I mean, you can definitely do it. If you live on a farm and then you move into the middle of town and you want to get your dog used to people, you have to start doing it slowly. It's not something like, you know, you let your your 13-year-old daughter take the dog on a walk for the first time, you know, by herself. It's something you really got to get prepared. 
not a doggy daycare type of dog either. Now, if you start doing stuff early before eight months, nine months old, you shouldn't have you shouldn't have a problem. And uh, so, so me saying all that, I'm kind of breeding towards middle of the road. I like the temperaments where where a dog that's maybe four months old, I could take it down by my work. I work across the boardwalk. I could take it to the boardwalk and have dogs come maybe, you know, 20 feet from us and the dog doesn't freak out. It just looks, becomes interested and then I correct my dog and we keep walking straight. That's that's kind of the temperament I want. I don't want the dog to freak out too much because I saw other dogs. Um, slowly, maybe a stranger wants to pet my dog and the dog isn't afraid of the stranger. So that, that's kind of what I'm going for. That's what I want to keep in my breeding dogs so I can, I can maintain that because I want these dogs to be easy for, for people who buy puppies, but they're also American bulldogs and, and they're going to be aloof to strangers and there's usually going to be some same-sex aggression maybe 65 to 75% of the time with adults over two years old for sure. Sometimes uh, adults under two, but it's not as common when they get older. I have a female. I bought her as an adult, maybe a year and a half old. About a year and a half old, yeah, because she was bred once by the other family on her second heat. And I went to look at the puppies because I was going to buy a puppy, but I ended up buying, buying her instead. And I brought her, slowly introduced her to my dogs, then put them out. Uh, in the yard next to the other dogs. And then uh, before work, I would get up, let all the dogs loose. And, you know, I'd have nine dogs loose at the same time. It wasn't an issue. And then uh, I went ahead and bred that dog I had bought. And she was, she was pregnant and then had an issue with another female, same-sex aggression female. And... Uh, it caused problems. Those two dogs were never able able to be kept together again. And then uh, time went on. Then it was it was issues with uh, younger females. And now now she just became a little a little harder to to handle with with other dogs. She's uh, she doesn't uh, put up with a lot of a lot of stuff from from dogs that are over about ten months old. She'll, she loves the puppies. She'll hang out with the puppies. She's good with my kids. But uh, I don't let her out with all the other dogs because I do have a lot of young females right now under under two years old. And that's something you gotta you got to keep an eye on also with the temperament. you got to really know your dogs, especially if you're doing going hiking or doing off-leash stuff. That's, that's a dog I wouldn't just take to the vet. Uh, just through the front door without a muzzle either. You, you just never know. Other people could have their dogs right there on the long leashes. So, and that's uh, that's some of the things I'm going for temperament. Um, there's uh, a lot of changes I've seen in the breed, and uh, there's there's popularity stuff. Dogs that are a little shorter in the back and smaller. This breed is supposed to be. Uh, large and they're supposed to be a little longer than than they are tall 
and and I'm cool with with some dogs being shorter in the back, as long as the proportions are s- still somewhat similar. But you get a lot of throwbacks. So if you want to buy a dog that's a little smaller and shorter in the back, you know some of the offspring might be more like the original Johnson dogs, and vice versa. So that that goes back to to the pedigrees and looking at the dogs in front of you and looking at the whole genetic gene pool by looking at whatever you can find as far as the siblings to the parents. And, uh, I mean, these, these dogs have been changed a lot since, since John D. Johnson had them in his yard. And I say that mostly because I'm, a, I'm on the bully type of the standard. I know there's some standard blood in the classic American Bulldogs right now but it's not the majority. So so when when you get a dog and, and you breed it, you have to really take that, that kind of thing into consideration because you, you're not always going to get the, the even spread of dogs. There's going to be little variances and variety in, in your pups. So that's, uh, that's important to find too. You know, some, some of these dogs have really gone down in size and they look super cool. And when you go to get something like that, you could get an offspring that's not small. It's it's average size, so that's that's also really important. My ultimate goal over the next five years is fix some of these flaws that I'm working on. And I know they're still going to be in the gene pool because if I recently got rid of them, they they still pop up. So to keep track of all that, get those flaws. So I'm wanting to be able to consistently produce males that are about 24 inches tall, 115 pounds. That's not the biggest. That's not the heaviest. You know, you have a lot of 24, 25 inch males at 130, but that's not necessarily what I want. To be honest, that's a little harder to achieve. For the next five years, I'm keeping it a little more realistic. So 24 inches, about 115, 112 pounds is fine. A bully head square with a nice vertical stop, a short muzzle. I don't, I want them to be clean breathers and uh, have a wide shoulder set with straight front legs and strong pasterns, tight straight feet, uh, minimal minimal to no roach with uh, a temperament where a family can handle the dog where they're not afraid like oh the dog's off leash at the campsite you know the dog if the dog sees something strange or sees another dog it might bark first but it's not going to go head first either so that that's a temperament you know a a strange dog comes onto the campsite the dog's going to bark the owner has enough time to Maybe tell the dog it's okay or put a leash on it, put it away, and uh, and then everything is fine. A dog that looks to its owner to do things also. not. I like strong, smart dogs, but not super independent either. Um, I want them to be muscular, tight skin, and uh, af- after I get all that, uh, oh, a lot a good bite i want them to keep all their teeth in their head you know to to adulthood sometimes there's 
there's some American Bulldogs in the bully side of the standard where they're three years old and you open up the mouth and they're missing some teeth. I've seen to the point, if you ever see a dog with its tongue sticking out of its mouth, it's because it's it's missing some teeth in that, that mm-hmm. part of its its jaw. Mm-hmm. And that's why the tongue tongue sticks out. So that, it looks really bad to me. I, it's It really bothers me a lot. Mm-hmm. So teeth are super important. Um, after that, you know, I'll, I'll start getting a little more picky with the ears. I want the ears to be a, a medium prick off to the side. I, I don't like the ears that uh, flop down. I have another dog who has like ears that look like they're about to stand up and about 60% of the way up the ear, they fold over there. They look a little silly, but it, the dog is really nice overall. And then uh, color, I I like color. I'm not gonna lie, you know. I I have lowrider cars with candy paint jobs, so I, you know, I'm not building sleepers. I like I like the cars to look good. I like my dogs to have a cool paint job on on them too. I like uh, solid colors. I like with white chests and uh, whites on their paws, maybe on the tip of their tails, maybe the middle of their heads too. I like solid solid tan. Uh, solid black, solid chocolate. I've never had a blue dog yet. Uh, I like blue too. It looks cool. I'm not sure if I like it a lot because I don't have one and I want one or, or I really do like it. I like reverse brindle color dogs. I don't like the, the average, the most brindle dogs. Um, I do like mostly white dogs too. And I know that together it's genetically, it, it it doesn't go because if you want a full a full dog and these dogs are uh, mostly white right now which is what they'd call in other breeds uh extreme pied or pied with low color you're not going to go either way you're gonna have a medium so it's just what i like and i haven't really decided yet like hey i'm gonna i'm gonna start breeding dogs this color because that's what i like yet because i'm not quite there because my dogs aren't aren't good enough to just breed solid bodysuit dogs with ge- the genetics I have right now. If I need to bring in genetics from an all white dog or all brindle dog, then I'm gonna I'm gonna have to do that because I'm just I'm not quite to the finishing touch area. I've I've just started to get into what I want as far as size, uh, the way they look, structure, minimal flaws. At the temperaments, I have most of the temperament there. I, I still do have to pet home some dogs uh, when when they can't be around other dogs. Like I've I've had to do that too. I've I've never had to put down a dog for bad temperament. I've never had a, a, a person, a family who bought my dog say, "Hey, the temperament's bad. It's not gonna work out." I haven't had that, and I, I've been very lucky to start start with that with good temperaments. So I'm just, I'm working on all the other stuff. Uh, Also, at the end of all this, what I want is uh, dogs that aren't too uh, delicate as far as food or weather. Now it's pretty mild with the weather where I'm at, but dogs, people who have gotten dogs where I've gotten dogs 
they go to heart the hot areas like in the south where the dog doesn't do too good outside in the summer not for breathing issues but for skin issues and uh i don't think it's diet because those that particular dog got fed well and they've tried a couple other things but i want to be able to send my dogs anywhere in the country in the weather that's within reason the dog can do good i don't want the dog to get into the trash and all of a sudden it's got a bunch of rash because it ate i don't know chicken like have the dog be allergic to chicken or something so i'm working on that i uh, right now i do have one dog that's a little more delicate and uh another dog that uh i switched the food and it, it didn't go too great they got like uh they what's it called like uh blisters in between their toes from from the food when i switched it so that that's also something i i want to i want to keep an eye on for for like the final the final product the i just wanted a nice sturdy dog you know like no issues no nothing like that good temperament a great pet for a family just just the all around dog where you know it's time to go the dog gets in the truck there's no issues no behavioral issues and i i wanted to look look good and if somebody wants to do any sporting with it it still has the ability to to do some bite work and things like that i've i do have some dogs right now where i feel like they have the temperament to do some bite work and uh, i could do some bite work with them and maybe i am looking into it maybe i'm not I heard someone say that hey, you know, if uh you do bite work and you upload videos, if your dog ever ever bites anyone, they're going to look at those videos and say, "Hey, you trained your dog to bite." So, you're in more trouble now. So, I that that's something I haven't looked into. I just listened to it and it stayed in the back of my mind. I'm I'm not an attorney. I probably won't get an attorney to ask him that question either. But um is just something I consider because I'm I'm super careful and I always think of like you know like what the worst worst case scenarios so well you're a business owner so you get it you know yeah I'm a business owner and uh these last two summers maybe the summer before 18 before covid or 19 up until now there's a lot of fake service dogs like a lot of emotional support and uh I try to be, you know, I want, I want my customers money, but I don't want a bunch of unnecessary dogs inside of my business. And I love dogs. I have the last booth in my restaurant with a couple dog books, uh, the dog encyclopedia, the world of fighting dogs by Mr. Carl. And then I have, uh, uh, the American bulldog by John Blackwell sitting there. They're just sitting there and I'm just hoping someone's going to strike up conversation from those books because when I'm not talking about dogs, I'm hoping someone brings them up. And, uh, but, but no, there's, there's a lot of, uh, fake service dogs, a lot of emotional support dogs. Um, there was, uh, two emotional support dogs that almost got into a fight at the mall here, but luckily they were both on leashes. Like they, they went after each other. It looked like they were going to, they were definitely going to, uh, uh, bite or something. I don't know. Maybe because they were on leashes and far enough away from each other, like 20 feet. They knew. If you ever seen those videos when they open up the gates and the dogs stop barking at each other, yeah. 
yeah, I, I, I don't know, but it's just, uh, I try to do everything carefully. Uh, I, I learned the laws as far as uh, in, in the restaurant side of things, because, you know, you never want to, you never want to be wrong with, with the service animal either. You know, those, those are important and they have their place. Well, I like to build custom cars. Um, I like I like the dogs. I have I'm a person of, of many hobbies and passions, but when I have the dogs and I'm at work, I can kind of tune out when it's necessary. When I don't, when I can, tune out the stress of work and think about dogs, think about breedings. I can pick up my phone and just go in the dog groups and look, and it calms me. You know, maybe after I had a customer complaint. Maybe after one of my vendors did something I didn't like or I made a mistake, you know, I make mistakes and it kind of bothers me when I make a mistake and, you know, it's, well, too bad you made a mistake. Now you lose, you know, throughout the day looking at dogs and thinking about dogs, it, you know, it helps me a lot too. I'm not as a, such on edge or such an angry person yeah. anymore. Especially the restaurant business this last couple of years has been probably kind of stressful yeah it has but uh you know i got into it and i'm i'm uh, taking it i i have an exit strategy it's not something i'm gonna do till i'm i'm 68 or 72 or whatever you know there's there's an exit strategy and then do something else i like and i uh, keep keep doing the dogs i'm just gonna i'm just gonna breed dogs until i'm uh Till I'm tired of getting hit at the knees. Maybe when I'm 70, I won't be able to be hit in the knees by a 100-pound dog anymore. Yeah, right. Because these, these puppy-like dogs, when they're a year old, they'll, they'll do that. You know, they'll get excited, get the zoomies, and knock over your chair or other small furniture in the house or hit you in the knees or carrying cleaning water buckets, and I'm taking a full water bucket, five gallons, and they just hit me, and then I'm all wet. <laughs> it's uh, they're they're fun dogs and uh i don't know i don't think i could i could have another breed maybe i could maybe something similar maybe like an oldie or something i could but that's they're very similar you know they're bulldogs too so i like where they share a great grandparent or a grandparent so yeah it's an outcross but they still got a little bit of the same blood back there um, I, I ask questions about temperament. Uh, I see if they have children, if it's a house dog. You know, some some people don't have a huge kennel where they got 10, 20 dogs. Some people got two, three dogs and they're inside the house. Um, if they take them out places, it answers a lot of questions about uh, about temperament. If they're able to do that, that's, that's good. Uh, and then the way they look, all, all the dogs have to have the same type, the same head type, the same phenotype. They have to look similar. Um, you know, if I'm going for size, I'm not going to pick a dog that has loose skin, a different looking face, you know, almost look like it's a, it's a different, different breeder out of the different side of the standard. Same with if I want a tight skin dog, I'm not going to go straight to a Scott dog and do a hybrid breeding. I'm going to get too much variation. So I'm going to go for a dog that shares a lot of uh, phenotypical traits that look similar, uh, but but better, of course. I don't I don't want the 
the variety in, in the litter. I want them to look the same. Mm-hmm. Then uh, the I have to be able to get good pictures too. If I feel like I can't get good enough pictures where I can see the confirmation of the dog, it's it's very hard for me to to just do it. So I have to get good pictures or see the dog in person, of course. And then after that, uh, I I would go ahead go ahead and and do it, do do the breeding. Uh, oh, of course, also like I said, uh, look at at the the pedigree. Make sure the dog looks like the pedigree, and the pedigree looks like the dog. The same with its uh, litter mates. And then after that, I'll do I'll do an outcross. I'll I'll keep a a pup probably at my house, and then uh, one with a cousin or an uncle or something like that. And uh, there I, I pick, and then I it goes back into my breeding program, probably for a line breeding. Um, I'm gonna slow down a little more and uh, do less breedings and probably not do a breeding until my last breeding has been at least a year old. That way I can keep, I can keep more. Cause for example, if I do two breedings in one year, I'm going to keep a pup out of each litter. And if I do one breeding, I don't know, every 13, 14 months, I can keep two, two pups out of that litter. And then, uh, keep pick my keeper at you know i pick my keeper when they're pups and then i'll i'll pick a another keeper that's going to go into the breeding program at at a year old and then if i pet home or sell the other dog that didn't make the cut maybe they both make the cut and they're both good but i don't i don't want to keep two of them and then i can go ahead and do my next breeding and then it's it's easier that way i don't keep too many dogs I just take things a little slower and it'll, it'll be easier for me that way. It is tough to find the right people. I feel like, no, this isn't for everyone. I don't want people doing, doing what I do because, um, I'm Mexican. I have a big family and, and it works for me. It it, it probably won't work. It's just a cultural thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I could give a dog to my uncles, my cousins, and it's all trust. It's all good. You know, if they don't take great care of the dog or if something happens, they're like, hey, the dog, I go back, I take the dog. And no matter what, I'm not going to get mad in my family over a dog, you know. I'm, I'm, you know, if I show up unannounced and, you know, the dog is in, in a cage or the dog is... uh is, is with a friend or they gave the dog away and they'll be like, Hey, you got to give that dog to me first. Like I gave you that dog. Don't, don't give the dog away. You know, something I'm not, I'm not going to make it get mad over a dog. It makes it easier because I know I can't, you know, it's family. Like it just doesn't, it's, it's not going to happen. Now, if you give the dog to someone you met and you don't know very well, maybe you've known of them for a year or two and then you start talking to them for six months i get this thing anyways where i'm like is this person ripping me off or like am i gonna let this like you know do they think i'm stupid do i look stupid you know it kind of makes you mad and then you gotta you better do contracts that way bs cones are are very important they're strategic and it helps me from just giving dogs away like 
they grow up in my house and then I got to find a home for them. There's another chance that that person I place a dog with might put it in another home and then it's three homes for one dog. It's, it's, that's not ideal. So if I just place it in the home, you know, hopefully likely, cause I, I, I pick who I go with, not just my family, maybe people in church, people I know, uh, friends of my parents, it'll, it'll stay there. So that's important. I do have some friends I have in mind that I would give them a dog. It's just honestly to have a good kennel. If you have 30 dogs to pick from, you're going to be doing great. Now, if you got 30 dogs at your house, that's, that's tough. That is a lot of work. So we can't, we can't all do that. I definitely can't do that. I've had uh, up to like nine and a pup. Uh, and that was just way too hard. Uh, six is the sweet spot, honestly. I got six here and then six or seven out with people. It's, it's much easier. It's better for the dogs. I can give them more one-on-one time and uh, be more in tune with what's going on. You know, it's easier to miss stuff if you have more dogs. As far as health, uh, you might miss their heats. You might think that the cycle started and two days off because you're not paying enough attention to your dogs. So I manage. It's it's just better to manage. And then when you have more dogs to pick from, you have you have uh, more chances of having those super stock that 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 superstar the ace dog. You know, it's like you know, like that. High school sports, the small, the small schools don't compete against the big schools because the big schools have more athletes to choose from. They have more superstars compared, mm-hmm. compared to the small schools. So that's, that's how I look at it. So it's, it's very important. There's definitely a balance and a juggling act. And just because you co-own them doesn't mean, you know, you're not responsible anymore. Like you got to be there for backup. The last thing you want is, you know, your dogs to get loose or go away or or end up in shelters. And then, you know, you get two of your dogs in the shelter and then you start to look bad. So, yes, it's very important. So I have some dogs that are dual registered, but I mostly go through the NKC because uh, because of the color. They accept the colors. Mm-hmm. And uh, just the other day, I made a post on Instagram where I was reading, where I was reading the the faults in the color, and uh, there was a part that I didn't, you know, I, I looked over. Um, what was it? I actually have the have it in front of me. So it says serious fault, tricolor pattern, and it says disqualification solid blue in Johnson bully type. Mm. So so it almost made it sound like a solid blue was worse than than a a tricolor. But uh but I my opinion is a little different for that as far as the color of the standard. The rest of the standard it sounds pretty normal. I like I uh I also the other the other registry I I register with is is it ABRA? Uh-huh. I, I like that registry. They're a little more strict, a little more strict on color. 
I do have dogs of color, so it's not my first choice. I remember some years ago where they stopped uh, they stopped registering dogs with uh, docked tails. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, well, that's, that's cool. You know, maybe, maybe they're not doing that because they're afraid that uh, the spine, the, the tail's an extension of the spine. There's something wrong with the vertebrates or something. But, uh, you know, changes, changes happen to erupt in that registry. It's a fine registry. The people who run it are, are good people and everything. The MKC is a little bit bigger, but that's, that's the one I mostly use. So if you get a dog from me, it's going to be uh, registered NKC. Uh, my stud dog is uh, registered both just to make it easier for the public. I, I have started uh, studying out Peso, uh, one of my better, my good dogs, my, my best dog. Two other programs. Um, the this, uh, shipping semen is a little tricky. It, it's it's been strange. I, I I ship semen one day, and they go to the vet, and it looks great under the microscope. And the second day, it's at like forty percent, where I did everything the same, and uh, I, I I don't know. So we're getting that done. I'm having help from a vet, so everything is a little more sure. But you know, there's always there's always guarantees. You know, I don't want people to lose out on their programs because. Breeding dogs is is very expensive, and uh, losses happen a lot. So my advice is uh, take it slow, learn the dogs, learn the pedigrees. When you buy a dog, make sure it's the style of dog or the dog you really like that you're not going to change your mind. do some research before you buy your first dog. Uh, don't just, you know, buy a, a couple adult females and, and want to get breeding right away. I mean, some people are going to do that, but take it slow as far as keeping your productions. Um, you know, like like I said, maybe keep a couple a couple pups from your litter and see how they turn out before you do another breeding just so you know what to expect mm-hmm. and uh you're gonna make mistakes um i've been in the 10 years and i'm still making a few mistakes and still learning but uh also don't don't be too quick to throw your money out because this is the dog breeding business oh people are gonna hate me for saying this but the dog breeding business in some way is similar to uh, investment real estate where you got the big investors with all the stuff selling their crap investments or their their rundown houses that there's really no money to be made on to the new investors it's hard to find deals so a lot of times it's uh, new breeders paying top dollar to, to the big breeders and not pet breeders or not breeders who have been doing it a long time Mm -hmm. so just don't be too quick to throw your money out to someone and when you do spend your money make sure that dog has everything that you want as far as your criteria when you set that because you can you can produce any dog in time so if if you think it's going to take you a couple generations to produce a dog like this or like that 
and that dog's already there, the dog is, is saving you time when you buy it. So make sure all the criteria for your, for a dog is there. Don't just buy the dog because it's local and it's close to you and you saw the litter. Don't just buy the dog because it's cheap or because they said, hey, just take this dog and, and give me you know X amount of money and some pups back. Don't just allow any, any kind of genetics within dogs in your home if it's gonna be a breeding dog instead of a pet dog because it might set you back, it might set you sideways in a different direction you wanted to go. So that's that's the main that's the main thing right there. Yeah, it's it's very important. Like pet homing dogs is is like the biggest part and I didn't even know this for the first couple of years. Like yeah. the first 4 years of me breeding, I didn't realize how big of a part pet homing dogs is yeah. because if you don't pet home your dogs you're gonna have a bunch of five-year-old females that are retired, mm-hmm. and you can't really go, you can't make progress that fast if you have pet dogs or you could have breeding dogs in its place. I have a pet dog. Uh, she used to be my breeding dog. She's like five years old now. Her temperament's great uh, for the family and great for the farm. Not as great with other females, but she's she's my pet and she's gonna live the rest of her life here. She lived with another family previously, so I don't want to put her in a third home, you know. But for the other dogs, I have dogs where I haven't even bred them yet because they're young. And I'm I'm thinking about, am I going to breed her once, wait for her productions to be a year and a half old, and then decide if I'm going to pet home her or breed her again? You know, I'm already thinking about pet homing, and I haven't even bred this dog. Mm-hmm. It's something that needs to be in the back of your mind, you know. You could definitely breed and not not pet home you could breed and sell all the puppies and you're just breeding your pets but you know if they're in the house you're gonna have three top three max and then after about you know five six years you're not gonna overbreed them you're not gonna breed the female seven eight times like that's it you're done until until your dogs die and then maybe you get new dogs and then you breed those so it just it just depends what kind of breeder you want to be. I'm I'm very set in goals. Um, um, I take my chicken program breeding very seriously. I love breeding chickens because I don't have to pet home those. I can make caldo de pollo. They're nice. delicious. You know, I just eat them if I want to call them as long as they're healthy. And uh, I can you know hatch 50 at a time or 100 a season if I wanted to so that's easy it moves it moves faster and and with dogs I mean they're not they're not birds they're not fish they're not insects they're they're more sentient to me so it takes a little more time for uh to take that into account and it's it's a big part it's a it's a really big part. People might say, "Hey, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna breed tons of dogs. These are also my pets." And that's like you know, that's that's a good too. As long as as long as you know what you want, and uh, your spouse or your significant other also knows you guys are on the same page, because it makes a difference. Um, my wife helped me a lot. There's been times where I leave on vacation to Mexico. And I left her with my daughter and 
a female that whelped three hours after I left to the airport. Mm. And uh, that was cool. These days, she does not want to be that involved. These days, you know, I got uh, more kids, another one on the way. So she's more she's more doing that because that's a lot of work too. I'm I'm more on the dog side of things, and my dad helps me a lot more now. And uh, you know, it's it's it works, but you know, with spouses, the level of success you have with breeding dogs has a lot to do with them. If they're on the same page, sacrificing uh, vacations and your money to do these breedings, you know, breeding could cost you thousands of dollars from vet to paying an outside stud fee to all the little things that go into it. I mean, just maintaining my whelping room is, is expensive. It costs hundreds of dollars every year. If I have one or two litters, like just the cleaning, the replacing things, I had drywall, I had to replace some of the drywall. I had to put like the plastic, uh, vinyl sheeting that's like four by eight to make it better i had to replace the door once just because it got too beat up uh no bare wood everything has to you know i made mistakes i put materials on there that didn't last and then just buying puppy pee pads are expensive <laughs> you know for for whelping dogs and, and raising litters it cost you know i probably spent a, a couple thousand in, in two years or three years, yeah, a couple thousand in like three years to to just maintain maintain everything when I have puppies. So it's it's important that your spouse is cool with it. So what I have seen in person and online, I'm not gonna lie, dog breeding is taking place online these days. Like the internet has helped me find most of other breeders made friends on there, found cool dogs. Uh, and uh, so it takes place a lot of it online. A lot of people say, oh, the internet has ruined the breed. I mean, sure, the internet has, has helped people hide. You see their online presence, but you don't know that, you know, maybe their water buckets are green and their dogs are in bad shape. They don't get taken out much. You don't see that. So you got to watch out for that, too. But the internet has helped a lot. Like, I feel like the internet has helped me because I've, I've found great dogs. I've found great tips, a lot of information. I mean, just your platform has helped me a lot, you know? Listening to other breeds and getting interested in, in other breeders from other breeds and learning from them too. Uh, so, so there's that as far as fads. Um, I see American Bulldogs getting smaller and bullier maybe a little closer to an oldie. And I think that's due to, it's easier to make a dog look more bully and more impressive in a smaller package than, than in a bigger package. Like a 26 inch dog is, is, is hard to look bully from the shoulder set. Mm-hmm. Like it's hard for a, a big dog to have wide shoulders. It, it, it can happen, I've seen a few, but it's not as common. Also, I've heard some breeders who have been in this 20 plus years say stuff like, the bigger the dog, the more chances you have of having uh, hip issues. So maybe it's because of that, you know, if you have a 90 pound male, you have less chance of having hip issues than if you have a 140 pound male. So sizes have gone smaller 
and uh, we've, we're definitely seeing colors now. You know, before it was the black American Bulldog. And when I first started, it wasn't it wasn't as accepted. Now it's accepted. I feel like that is because you get new breeders coming in every day. You know, if you've been in the breed for four or five years, you've been seeing black bulldogs and blue bulldogs and chocolate bulldogs. And if you've been in it 25 years, it's not, you know, it's something you've seen in the last nine, eight, ten years. Um, also, the pet industry side of things, a lot of people say this and a lot of people say, no, it's not true, you just don't know, is uh, dogs prices have gone down that uh, the pet market is a little more saturated because of uh, COVID. Everyone bought a puppy and maybe people had their first litter. I think it's, uh, it's, it's probably right. There are a lot of pets for sale. Um, in my area, I see $600 Huskies, $800 German Shepherds. And for my, for my pet market, it's a lot of people who had an American Bulldog when they were teenagers and now they're in their late 30s, early 40s, and they want another one because they remember they had one. And maybe the one back then wasn't as bully as uh, finely bred, or a little more standard than what they see now, but they go with this style of dog like the ones I have. Also, um, some, some people, you know, they're looking for a cool dog. They say, oh, look, an American Bulldog. But we got this uh, lower price other breed. So they go for that breed instead. You know, I have had one person who acted like they were super interested, said all the right things. And I'm like, all right, this is going to be a great family. And then they contact me. They're like, hey, we, uh, we found a Pomeranian instead. I'm like, what? You know, you were shopping for an American Bulldog and now you found a Pomeranian. Like if... If they found a Pitbull Terrier or if they found an Alapaha or Oldie, like that's a little closer, you know, in the same style of dog, but they went completely different, you know? So, so I, I you know, that's, that's one thing. Just uh, dogs are cheaper. There's more for sale. And uh, also, I feel like shows have gone down. I've only been to a couple of dog shows to observe. And uh, I, I'm hearing the presence for dog shows has, has gone down, especially for American Bulldogs. I remember when I first started, my buddies up north in Portland and, and in Washington, they would get together and go to dog shows. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm missing out. And now they don't they don't even show up anymore. So I don't think they're completely recognized now. I think they're letting in uh, the I'm not exactly sure what they call it. But it's like the foundation stock. Mm. So they open up a, a parent club. And then those dogs that they start with will be like the first uh, stock recognized. And then the dogs that come off of that will be AKC. So if the dogs get completely AKC recognized and uh, they get registered, I don't think I can just... Uh, bring mine in all of a sudden especially with the variance of breed type so uh, i'm not quite sure how that's going to play out it could be that they say oh that's the bully type dog that's the akc type dog you know like the akc only runs 
uh, standard standard type dog. I'm not sure. I I don't recall there being any any type of dog where the AKC has two standards. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I I like it. I mean, hopefully it's to where a point where they call the AKC American Bulldog the working bulldog. You know where where it it retains what it's originally supposed to be because these dogs are badass like what they're originally supposed to be is awesome and sometimes i think if i lived where we had wild hogs i i would do that you know i would hunt them i'd have a different style of dog for sure but but i would i would do it i would i would hunt hogs and just go with performance dogs i don't have that here i live a different lifestyle i do live on a small farm but i, I also run a restaurant so it's a little harder. We have a lot of hunting and fishing here, and I, I don't get to do as much of that as, as I used to. Um, no, because of the reason, the way I've incorporated color. So the first time I incorporated color, did a color breeding. I had uh, my female, Wild Diamond, who I owned her niece, I own her half-sister. So I own the half-sister, and that was one of my, my brood females. And then I owned uh, her daughter and then another niece. Like, I was very familiar with that blood. It came from J.C. Picking, American Bulldog DDP. So I I had my brood female standard standard color. And then in concurrent, another person, another friend of mine, owned my female's uh, litter mate and then my friend did a colored breeding uh, color breeding with uh, using his, his standard colored female to a colored dog and then I bought something off of, off of I got something off of that litter so it was half pretty much I'm going to call it half my blood and, uh, and a different blood and then I took my dogs back to it so so speaking in terms, even though it's a, a colored, a colored bulldog, it's seventy-five percent my genetics, and it call it like an outcross to a colored dog, where the colored dog is a grandparent, and uh, I have I have the blood on my blood on both sides of that dog, and then I I bred it and then kept more stuff off of that. I intentionally did embark DNA tests. So I could see because you, you know, it was a black bulldog from another kennel and it carried one copy of blue, one copy of chocolate. So it wasn't expressing and it wasn't chocolate or blue, but it had, uh, it had those colors and it carried one copy of its genetics. I did the embark test and I said, oh, look, this dog has this copy, 25% chance it would get it. I looked at the dog. There was another dog with the same genetics, but that dog had an umbilical hernia, so I didn't keep that one. I kept the dog with the genetics I wanted that didn't have the umbilical hernia. I picked her at five weeks old and uh, ended up getting that dog, kept that dog, and now that's how I put chocolate colored into my program, which was a little more complicated. It took more breedings to do. But so, for example, my colored, my colored dogs I have right now they have my genetics from from JC or from the genetics I had six years ago, years before I incorporated the color uh, on both sides of their pedigree. 
So I did that intentionally just so I could say, hey, they're more, they got more of my blood and they look more like my dogs, act like more of my dogs, but still have the color. With that, I feel like there's certain people uh, doing that. There's certain people being vocal, certain people that won't breed to that. Me personally, um, if I can embark and it doesn't say 100% bulldog, oh, let, let me go back, okay. So let's say we have uh, German Shepherd outcross. Mm-hmm. Let's do that so we're not talking about, you know, a couple a couple of scenarios that say they happen. We have a German Shepherd outcross, and we believe it's a 25% German Shepherd. I probably won't use it, but if it's an outstanding dog, and I'm like, wow, I really like that dog. You know what? Other people have used it, and they've had success. Let's let's embark it, and I'll use it. If they embark it, and it comes back with some German Shepherd, then I'm not going to use it. Now, some dogs do get embarked, and they say like 10% or 5% super or, or they, they don't know, like there's no genetic marker for it. That, that's something different. So an outcross, outcross dog or a rumor of outcross dog, I'll almost likely stay away from it. But uh, if it has everything and I have an opportunity to use it, I'm not saying I won't use it, but I'm not completely uh, against it, but most likely I won't. There's there's just too much stuff out there that I could use. I have outside studs from other kennels where I paid a deposit, and I don't think I'll use them this year or next. Like that's there's just a lot of choice. So so for me to use it, there's that. Now with the whole outcross thing and sneaking other breeds into our breed, like it has happened. It's been happening. Um, you know, if a dog DNA is 100% American Bulldog, and that's that's what we're just going to talk about is, is DNA tests because that's what we have to go off of for sure. It's not 100% sure, but it's like the only it's the only thing we can really say. If it DNA is, and you know for sure there's an outcross in it, the genes that got diluted, they didn't get picked up, or those those genes from another breed were in there already when when the DNA companies picked dogs to choose their genetic markers. You know, like a dog de Bordeaux genetic could be inside our American Bulldog, but when Embark or Wisdom Panel or whatever got all their data, they took that dog de Bordeaux gene with them and counted as an American Bulldog. And the thing with all the out, pit bull outcrosses, maybe even Rottweiler outcrosses, all those outcrosses that got put in, you know, maybe in the 80s, let's just say the 80s and 90s, they got put in, but there's no big proof of it because they didn't leave tan points or it didn't leave a color or something super recognizable with uh, black color or or dilutes or or whatever. People say, oh, if it's such and such color, it's it's a cross it's a mutt well there's other dogs from other breeds that are also brindle and white but you just can't see because it's the same you know so it's just because the genes expressed from an outcross show up 
they, they say it, but there's been outcrosses and just crosses done and lies done and papers hung. So you just have to look at the dog and make sure the dog is what it's supposed to be. The person you're dealing with is is reliable and, and honest and then breed the dog and if it breeds true, you know, that's that's the best you can do. You know, there's that's that's the that's the one thing we can go to is doing that and that's that's how you would do it anyways, even if you're not worried of an outcross because just the breed is this has such a wide standard and instead of an outcross or a cross or some trait from a different color it could just be some disease or, or some temperament issue. I was on sports mix, and that's not really too great. It's not what it, it used to be. I, I, I got away from it for a while, and, and I came right back to it. And I'm like, nah. And I had fed uh, before uh, Purina Pro Plan uh-huh. 3020. Uh-huh. And the reason I stopped feeding it is I could not find it. I could not find it anywhere. I called, I called uh, uh, places that sold dog food two hours up the coast and all the way down to the California border. And, and you know, I was willing to drive hours. And when it got really hard, I'm like, no, I can't. I can't just find it and then not have it for again and then find it. So I switched to Sport Mix. But right now, I'm feeding uh, uh, Purina Pro Plan 3020. It's a uh, high protein. And then for the pups. And uh, moms, uh, pregnant moms, and uh, and nursing moms, I'm doing diamond puppy food, and that is what has worked best for me for a while. That's that's what I'm feeding. I used to incorporate a little bit of raw, but it's a convenience thing. Uh, I when I do it, it's more like a treat for them, and uh, I haven't had any issues feeding those two dog foods that I, I just mentioned last. So I, I heard this quote, and I can't remember which dog YouTube video I heard it from, but I heard it yesterday. They're like, you know, if you fed a wolf old Roy, I bet you half its fur would fall off. <laughs> <laughs> it was something to that. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, well, okay. You know, wolf are the, the tough, the what our dogs came from. But try giving a wolf old Roy. Uh, pedigree or something.